You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Well, it was my birthday last week. Thanks for the phone calls. Nobody called. Um, And uh, it was great. Great day. Great week. Uh, I can vote now. Uh, I can vote before. I'm just saying I can still still vote. So I can still vote. Uh, And my wife, who uh, is amazing and knows me really well, uh, got me uh, a great set of presents. I'm I'm a little bit of a bookish kind of nerd. So she found me a bunch of my favorite books, first printing, first edition kind of situation. So like... uh, she got me a first uh, edition of uh, the Screw Tape Letters, C.S. Lewis's. Ooh, uh, and uh, this, my favorite book of all time outside the Bible, a little book called *The Pursuit of God*. You ever heard of this guy right here, A.W. Tozer, written in kind of the 1940s? Uh, I love this book. First edition of this. Very excited about it. This is one of those books that every time uh, I read it, it ruins my life, and uh, it does. Uh, just even perusing it uh, this week. Just oh, I read it uh, in my early 20s, ruined me. Uh, Mid 20s, late 20s. Just, I, I should pr- probably stop because it is the worst uh, book uh, for me. But uh, let me. Uh, I'll tell you why I love it so much. It has been really helpful in developing kind of categories for me, especially as a young man, to kind of uh, give some language to what I was seeing in my own heart and life. Uh, and uh, like it developed this uh, term called the self-life. We talk about it a lot, I do, uh, in my sermons. Um, and I'm going to read an excerpt uh, so you can kind of see what I'm talking about. Uh, he is talking about the thing that prevents us from intimacy with God, and he calls it the self-life. Here's what he says about it. Uh, so here it is in the book. He says, Uh, let's see, the self-life, the hyphenated sins of the human spirit. They're not something we do, they're something we are. And therein lies both their subtlety and their power. To be specific, the self-sins are these. Self-righteousness, self-pity, self-confidence, self-sufficiency, self-admiration, self-love, and a host of other things like them. They dwell too deep within us and are too much a part of our natures to come to our attention till the light of God is focused upon them. The grosser manifestations of these sins, egotism, exhibitionism, self-promotion, are strangely tolerated in Christian leaders, even in circles of impeccable orthodoxy. Then he says, listen to this. Promoting self under the guise of promoting Christ is currently so common as to excite little notice. This is the book my wife thought I needed on my birthday. Uh, and it, uh, it just cuts me to the core of the, the self life. Now I am, uh, I'm reading that uh, to you because as we've spent these six months in 1 Corinthians, that category has been a helpful one for me in making sense of what is even going on in the Corinthian church at that time. If you uh, have been with us over these past six months, uh, one of the things you know about this book is that Paul is not writing this letter to a bunch of pagan monsters, right? He's writing to a Christian church. He's right, just like all the letters in the New Testament are written to Christian people, Christian churches. He's writing to a Christian church, and this is a Christian church that is doing very churchy things, 
right? So this is a church that they've got themselves some gifted preachers. They have a diverse congregation. They're knowledgeable about the Bible. They're taking communion together. They're teaching and praying and prophesying in the congregation. They're operating in the spiritual gifts. All these things are things that are actually happening in the life of this church in this book. And yet, here we, we've been six months, 16 chapters deep into a letter where Paul is just calling out issue after issue after issue in them. And you go, what's the problem, Paul? They're doing the, the things. And the problem, Paul's going to say, is not that they're not doing enough churchy things. They're doing those things. The problem is what's happening under the surface, under the hood of those things. He's going to say, beneath each of your religious Christian churchy activities is that is a very vibrant, very turned up to 11 self life. That sort of me first, I'm going to get mine, me at the front of the line impulse is right there at every turn, even in the very religious, very appropriate Christian-y things, or even in what looks like noble behaviors. Under the hood, we have a problem. Let me give you some examples so you can kind of understand what I mean, so a uh, uh, quick tour. Uh, chapters 12 through 14, we, we were there for uh, weeks on end. It's all about the spiritual gifts. Uh, on the surface, what's happening? On the surface in those chapters, they're gathering for worship. They're using their spiritual gifts. People are supernaturally speaking in other languages. Healings are happening. Miracles are happening. Uh, okay, this is, we got ourselves a church service on the surface. Underneath the surface, What's happening? Folks are flaunting their gifts. People are getting shame because they got boring gifts like administration. Right? You got the gift of Excel spreadsheets, right? The, the folks are speaking in tongues so everyone can look at them and say, wow, you're awesome at speaking in tongues. On the surface, they're doing the things, but when you pop the hood and look underneath, you realize what they've actually done is they've take, get, taken gifts meant to bless God's people, and they're actually using those gifts to bless themselves. You're, you're doing the thing, but your motives are wrong. Or chapter five. Chapter five, on the surface, we're looking at a really accepting church. This is the kind of church that you could join and you would never have to worry about people criticizing you or, or nitpicking your private life. You could just be you. What an amazing thing that would be. Under the surface, a dude is sleeping with his stepmom and no one is saying anything about it to the guy. And Paul looks at that and he calls that arrogance. He says, under the hood, you're proud, verse 2, because you're so committed to your supposed freedom in Christ that you've forgotten. Jesus didn't just die to make you happy. He died to make you holy. And you've taken your value system and you've put it on top of God's value system. Your tolerance culture has actually got you right at the center of things, not God. It's not about him. It's about you when you get a little bit deeper. I can keep going. We can talk about chapters 1 through 4. On the surface, we care about good preaching. Right? That's how this thing opens. I love me some Paul. I love me some Peter. I, I love me Apollos. I, I want the good preaching. Under the surface, all these guys are doing is rounding up their favorite celebrity pastors so that they could look important by association. That's what's happening for the first four chapters of the book. It's still all about you. That self-life thing is reigning and your motives are broken. And so Paul's aim is really to get 
past all the visible behavior to start looking at the, the invisible motives that drive us. That's where he's going to say the game is won. Let me give you an example. Um, I like bowling. I'm not very good at it, but I make up for it with passion. Okay. Um, now I was talking to a guy who is very good at it one day and I asked him, Hey, have you ever seen somebody bowl uh, 300? And he goes, Oh yeah, all the time. I said, really? He says, yeah, it's pretty easy to bowl 300, which it's not. And, uh, and he goes, guys come in here all the time. They bowl 300. They think they can go pro. So then they do go pro and they fall flat on their face. I go, Oh, that's weird. Why, why is that? He says, cause they don't know what the game's really about. And then he leaned in like he was talking about something actually important. And he goes, you're not playing against the pins. You're playing against the oil. It was the deepest conversation I've ever had about bowling in my life. He said, the secret of bowling is knowing the oil patterns on the lane. That's what makes the ball do what it does. And so a really good professional knows how to, to be in touch with the oil patterns. The problem is oil patterns are invisible, so nobody cares about them. But the way you win the game is actually to care about the invisible thing, not the visible thing. Welcome to the Christian life. That's, that's what this thing is. What Paul's been so concerned about in this book is that we would move past that surface behavior and get down into our motives. And so he's casting a vision chapter after chapter of what life could look like if our invisible motives were our priority, not just the pins at the end of the alley, right? What would, the, what would it look like? He even has a code word for what a life lived focusing on our invisible behaviors would look like. He has a code word for it throughout the book. It's called love, right? This is the love book. And love, he says, is this thing that hums beneath the surface that that looks like this, patient, it's kind, it doesn't envy or boast, it's not arrogant or rude, he says, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable, it's not resentful, it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, it rejoices with the truth. Did you notice what, what all those things have in common? Before they are activities you do with your hands, they're really hard postures, aren't they? They're kind of down below the surface, they're under the hood issues. He's going, hey, guys, when you meet Jesus, Something actually changes inside you. It's not just your hands that changes. Something happens here. When you realize that you're saved, not because you're awesome, but because like chapter one says, he chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong, the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. When you realize it, when you realize that all you deserve is wrath and yet all he's given you is grace, when, when you when you can see that at the end of this story is God giving you a resurrected body to rule and reign on a new heavens and new earth with him forever, when you can see that that is your future, when, when you collide with the living God in the person of his son, things actually change at a heart level. You can actually, oh, I don't know, let some stuff go. Stop being so ornery all the time, right? You can actually not have to be in front of the line anymore, chapter 11. You can actually lay down your rights to help other people, chapter 8. You can actually be free to think about another human being besides you. Those are all things that really begin right here at the heart. Love is, is the vision that he's calling us to in this book. And it's mainly, it's mainly, listen, an under the hood kind of work. It's mainly a beneath the surface type of work. And so 
So it makes sense that here we are in chapter 16, and he's giving us a, a list of final commands. Paul always does this at the end of uh, books uh, that he writes. It's just a litany of to-dos, right? He's got, he's got this going. But I want you to notice something. Uh, he has some things to say, some things to call us to, but it's not just behavior change that he's interested. So I'll give you an example. Look at verse 13 with me. He says this, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. So some of the, these are some of his final commissions to them. And they are very much doing verbs, right? Be men, uh, be strong, act like men, stand firm, be watchful. These are doing things, yes, but he doesn't just stop there. Look at verse 14. After he says all that, he says, let all you do be done in love that one of the last things he leaves them with in this book is, is a motive command. That's interesting. He, he didn't say do these things. He said do them in a certain way. If you are, if you're looking for a, a good litmus test for your life to like ask the question, am I doing this thing right? Am I on the right path? Is this working? Do not mainly ask the question, Am I doing the right behaviors a Christian should do? The, the Corinthians are doing so many of those things. And it's not working for them. What we're to ask, what Paul's inviting us to ask ourselves is, why am I behaving like this in the first place? It's the beneath the surface thing. That's the measuring stick. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Right, we know the story, right? Uh, Luke 15. Think about that older brother for a moment. So the prodigal son, the younger brother goes away. He, he squanders his money. He comes back one day to the father. They reunite. There's a party thrown. A feast is thrown. The, the father has the fatted calf slain. And then he has an interaction toward the end of the parable with his older son. The, the dutiful one that's been home with them the whole time. What does that older son, when he realizes how the younger one has been accept, accepted back in, how does he respond and react to the father. What does he say? Look at verse 29. It says this, but he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, by the way, you killed the fattened calf for him. So pause here. Uh, answer this question for me. Was the older brother obedient to his father? The answer for the text says is, is yes. Actually, from, from his own mouth, he actually had never disobeyed his father with his hands. But what did his attitude reveal? That when you pop the hood, all that was humming there in that engine is the self-life. That everything that older brother was doing for the father, even though they were good and right things, they were done so you'd owe me one. So that one day I could leverage this. I want to get something from you, not just bless you because I love you. And what you see in the prodigal son story and what you see in the attitude of this older brother is the betrayal of the fact that he actually doesn't have a love relationship with his father. He, he's actually just doing the things with his hand, but at a heart level, there is no 
love there. Now, I just want to, I want to turn it on us for a moment. Just, I want you to think about you for a moment. Just imagine for a moment, you spend your whole life doing the church thing. Like being here, maybe it's, maybe it's here. It's at Stonegate for a long, you're running the long game with, you're doing here. The church, you're singing the songs. We got the liturgies on the screen. You're saying them with us. You're using your gifts. You're, you're praying the prayers. You're going to community group. You're reading your Bible. You've got family devos going. Those, all of those things, are, imagine all of those things are happening. And then one day you stand before Jesus and discover, oh, I, I, did those things, but I did those things for me. I don't, I don't love him. I loved me. I was a churchy person because it helped clean my conscience to come. I did the church thing so that God would bless me one day. I did this church thing so that bad stuff wouldn't happen to me. I did this thing so that my Friends and family would look and say, no, there's a moral person right there. No, he's, she's got her life in order. He's got his life straight. But I didn't have affection for the Lord at bottom. What an awful thought. I'm not saying it's you or not, but I'm just saying what a, what a horrible thought to, to, to live your whole life thinking you are serving him when the whole time you're playing for the other team. It's like that, it's like that five-year-old kid who's playing soccer for the first time and he gets the ball and, and he's just making his way down the field and he scores the goal and he's losing his mind. He's so happy and his parents are shouting from the sideline. That's your own goal, right? You, you scored on you. You wonder why parents get so mad. It's, that's maddening, right? You're, you're playing for the wrong team. To imagine you, you living this life, playing this game, and you come to the end, you go, I'm scoring for the wrong team the whole time, and I thought it was done for you. This is what the self-life does to us. We can live our whole life in this tribe, this Christian tribe right here, and be scoring for the other team because our behavior might be right, but our motives are broken. The why beneath it is not right. To say it another way, you can be Christian-ish and not be a Christian. And man, that should haunt some of us. You can, we can play the game. We can do this all day. You can be Christian-ish and not be you, There is a way for you to be here on Sunday and do nothing by way of honoring God. There is a way for you to believe the Bible and then take that knowledge and squash folks with it. There is a way for you to say, I love grace, but what you really mean is I don't care about sin. And the only difference between whether or not you're pleasing God or displeasing God in that is the why behind it. The action hasn't changed. It's the heart that's changed. What does your heart look like? This is the interest of our God. If Christ is not, I know this is heavy, but listen, if Christ isn't your treasure, doing Christian stuff will not help you won't help you. And that's Paul's concern for us. And this is why, I think, he ends his letter with what may be the weirdest closing ever to a letter. So listen to his words, uh, starting in verse 19. He's, He's written a long letter, guys. This is 16 chapters, and he's bringing it all home. Here's the final things he's saying. And he writes in verse 19, 
the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prissa together with the church in our house, they send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Oh, Lord, come. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. One of these things is not like the other. Is that weird to anyone? When you were reading that, were you like, what? Why would you... Can you imagine reading this letter? The churches in Asia greet you. All the brothers greet you. If you don't love Jesus, you'll go to hell. Bye. <laughs> That's weird, right? Why, why does he say that? Why does he put that there? Can I tell you why I think? Because he knows how easy it is to be a religious person and not love Christ. And he doesn't want that for this church that he planted. And I don't want it for us. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. It, Stonegate, if you don't love the Lord, they're in the behavior in the world that's going to help you. He wants your heart. And I just got to say this. There... There is a day coming, and it is coming, where you are going to stand bare before your God. And you're going to have all the things you've done there. But our God, who doesn't look at the outward appearance, but looks at the heart, he's going to peer past the activities of your hands, and he's going to see your why. He's going to stare it in the face. And on that day, you're not going to be able to soothe yourself with, but I memorized the verses. But I, but I went to home group. But I came here. I had my seat. I sang the songs. It will, you cannot soothe yourself with those truths because on that day, hands are only part of it. He wants your heart and he'll see it. And there's a new set of questions we ought to be asking. It's not, did I do the Christian activities? It's when I did them, was there love for him there? Or was the king that was on the throne in all my activities me? I want to say um, something as we're closing because I, I, I think there, there is a I've got, to, I've got to clarify something because um, I am not saying uh, that you're going to have perfect motives. There, there's a, a way to hear this and go, well, dang, I, I, I guess I, I'm, I'm done for because I don't, I feel the things you're saying. I've, there are times when I, kind of want some of the spotlight. And, and there are times when I do feel differently than just, oh, it's just the glory. Of God. I, I, I want to say, of course, that's true. There's not, you, our motives will be mixed till the day we die. So I think some of us just need to settle that. There's not a thing that you have ever or will ever do in your life that you could probably ever fully say with a hundred percent pure heart, 
I gave glory to Jesus alone in that activity. I don't even think it's possible until he returns. We, uh, John Bunyan said it once talking about his prayer life. He said, there's enough sin in my best prayer to damn the whole world. So our motives are muddy. And in fact, when God peers through our life into our heart, there's not a person in this room, if motives are the issue, can we just say what's true? If motives are the issue, there's not a person in this room that's going to stand in that day. So like the measuring stick of like, did I get kind of close? That's a religious man's game. That's not the game we're playing here. Did I like have enough good motives that like he accepts me and I'm not accursed? That's not the game we're playing here. And that's not the game. Paul, if you stand before God on the day of judgment and he sees your motives, they will be corrupt and no impure thing can be before a holy God. So we all have a problem. We all have a problem. And we need to do something better than just move a little bit toward better. That won't help us. We need something better than what we can produce. Now, I lied earlier uh, because I, I said Paul ended with, if you don't love the Lord, you're accursed. And he doesn't. He actually has a, another sentence or two for us. He says in verse 23, after saying that, if anyone does not have love for the Lord, he is to be accursed. Come, Lord Jesus. Verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. We, you, you need more than your efforts on the day you stand before God. And you need more than your own pure motives or attempt at pure motives for you to stand before God. You need the efforts and motives of the Lord Jesus on you or you have no hope. And in the gospel, do you see that is actually what's offered? It's, it's, this is not the religion game, guys. This is not inch a little bit closer to Jesus and he'll weigh it out and then he'll go, oh, that was close enough. Get on in here. It is holiness or it's nothing. And thanks be to God that what Christ offers us is not just a better route, a better path to take. He offers us his own record, his own own motives applied to us so that when I stand before the living God with my failed, partially narcissistic attempts to honor him, he will see past them even, through them even, to the motives of his son. And you need that, brother, sister, more than any other thing, more than your best attempts. You need the grace of the Lord Jesus to be with you on that day. And that's what he offers you. So if you're looking at your life and you're going, I am actually just a motive mess. You pop the hood under here and the self-life is real and it's turned all the way up. You should feel concern, but don't leave it there. Run all the way to the cross. Run to the one who will trade you. He will take all of your twisted, self-centered, self-aggrandizing motives and desires and he'll take it on himself at Calvary and in exchange, he'll give you every deep affection he has for his father and every good deed he's ever done so that the father will look at you and say, righteous, clean. That is the Christian life. If you've been wondering what this thing is, that's Christianity. It's not a work your way to better. It's a, can I trade with you? 
That's what God does. Can I trade with you? And he wants to trade with you. He wants grace for you. So uh, come to him today. If it's, what, a, what a good way to end 1 Corinthians is to go, it's, it's just have an altar call. Just go, will you trust Jesus? That's, that's the offer today. Will you, tr- will you trust him? Because you're going to fail him. And you need something purer than what you have to offer. And if you do, if you make that trade with them today, and I hope you will. This room's big enough. There's bound to be people that are going, I'm a mess. I need them. If you trade with them, if you let them change your heart, it will change everything. It don't mean you can come here on a Sunday not because your wife dragged you out of bed. Right? But you come here because I want to I sing to the king who rescued me. And I want to be with his people. I actually love you. I don't hate you anymore. Hey, praise God. I, I, it will change your motives such that when you give, it won't just be because you want something from God at the end of it. It won't be because he might owe you one if you give enough. It'll be because I, I love the mission. I actually love the mission. He's changed my heart. I want to see more people know. If you, try, if you cast yourself on the Lord Jesus and he changes you, it means that when next time you share the gospel with someone, it won't be so you can get that guilt monkey off your back. Just like, ah, I know we, we do the prayer card thing. We do the, who's your one thing here? And they're going to ask me about it. And so I, it'll be because I want you to know the greatest person I've ever met. And he's my friend and he's my savior. So I'm, ha- I'm happy to talk with you about it. This is the life of the Christian. This is, this is what it means to walk with him. But it starts and ends with grace. Just like Paul ends here. So would you cast yourself on him? If that, if that happens with you, there is no more condemnation. There's no more fear of that day. All that's left, and we'll end here, is a banner hanging over your head for all of eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, like a banner over you, and I'll just say this over you if you've trusted in him. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. You're in him. You're found in him. God sees him when he sees you. Who has become for us wisdom from God. I don't want to flaunt my own knowledge and wisdom. He's become it for me. He is wisdom and righteousness. It's not my record anymore. It's his record on my behalf and sanctification and redemption so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You want to see self-life, self-boasting die in you? Fall on Christ Let him be your everything, your righteousness, your new motives. And then you'll be able to say with Paul, there's only one person I'm boasting in and it's not me. It's Jesus. It's the only person I'm bragging on from now on. That's the Christian life. Let's pray. Father, for at least a little while longer, it is uh, pretty easy and maybe even a little beneficial to be a Christian or to hold to our values and those types of things here in the South. And that means there's a unique temptation, especially with folks like me, folks like us in this room, to do the Christian-y thing, but have no love for God 
while we do it. That it's just the culture we live in. It's just the thing I do. I grew up in church and it's what the good old boys do. And, and God, I am sorry for the ways that I do that. And I definitely do. And may there be a posture and a spirit of repentance in here today that we could be people who say, I don't, I have been like that, but I don't want to be like that. I actually want to know the Lord. I actually want to love him. Lord, would you have mercy on us so that we would be people who, because we've been changed from the inside, don't just behave right, but we do it from a heart that says, the Lord Jesus is worthy of my life, my sacrifice, my affections. He has given himself for me. I give myself for him. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. May that be the posture of the people at Stonegate. So when we sing this next song where we're singing about what's coming for us in the future and our life with God forever and eternity. We actually could from the heart and not just from our mouth mean hallelujah, salvation and glory, honor and power be to the Lord our God. That they wouldn't just be dead words, but they'd be coming from a heart that actually loves the Lord our God. Do that for us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.